Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see the young and not so young gathered under one roof tonight. I love when I see elders in uh, youth services, youth rallies, sectional events, whatever you want to call them now. I'm excited to be in Section 10. It's been a few years since I've been in a Section 10 youth event, and I'm honored to be with you. I want to give honor to both Singles and his family and their team, and McBride, Bill McBride, for hosting us tonight, allowing us to be here. Give honor to them. And all the ministry, uh, student pastors, youth leaders, whatever your church calls you, I give honor to all of you tonight, and I'm thankful you brought your young people out. Isn't it good to be in God's house with God's people? Amen. <clears throat> I always kind of wonder why, I want to be very careful I say this, I trust the Lord, but um, I don't know how to make things cute. I don't really tell a lot of funny stories. I just kind of preach it plain, and uh, I, uh, I feel like young people need that in this hour. So if you're looking for some funny stories, you might not get those tonight. We'll kind of see what happens, but I, I do feel like there is a word for this generation tonight, and uh, I want there to be a spirit of wisdom and revelation loosed here in this place, and um, may not have any cute stories, but I, I do believe in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, and I believe God's going to manifest himself here tonight. If you're hungry for that, why don't you clap your hands to him? Give honor to my pastor, Brother Mark Melton. He's not here. I honor him and uh, family here. I, I, my wife and kids are here somewhere. We walked in. I lost them. There they are back there. I'm glad they're with me. Love them dearly. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to stand with me. And I want you to turn, if you have your Bible or your phone, whatever you use, to the book of Haggai. It's one of the last books of the Old Testament. Well, the last books, third or fourth book to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. Still got quiet in here. The book of Haggai. I'm going to read three verses uh, out of chapter 2 for our text tonight. I'll give you just a second to get there if you're trying to turn there. Just two chapters here in uh, the ministry of this prophet Haggai. And we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you got it, say amen. The Bible says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? How do you see the house right now? Does it compare to what you saw in the generation before? And I just want to preach tonight. I'll title it this. Pentecostal pioneers and us. Pentecostal pioneers and us. Will you lift your voice and pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you for the spirit of expectation that I feel here tonight. But God, we're dependent upon your spirit. We're dependent upon your word, God, to bring wisdom and revelation in this house tonight, God. But I'm asking you, gracious Lord, to confirm your word in this place tonight with signs following. Speak clearly, dear God. Any chain that needs to be broken, let it be done in your presence, God. Let the yoke be destroyed tonight because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Can somebody say in Jesus' name? Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Pentecostal pioneers, and then there's you and I. The word pioneer is 
pretty self-explanatory for the most part, but I want to read you several definitions of what a pioneer is. A pioneer, according to Webster, is the art and practice of war, or in the art and practice of war, one whose business is to march with or before an army, to repair the road or clear it of obstructions, to work at entrenchments or form mines for destroying an enemy's work. A pioneer is one that goes before others to remove obstructions or prepare the way for another. A person who is among the first to explore or settle a new country or areas. Preaching tonight about men and women who have gone on before us, not necessarily onto their graves. Some of the people that I might mention tonight are still alive with us, but they have paved the way for us. They've made the path straight, if you will. They have cleared the path of obstructions and spiritual hindrances and made it easier for us who are the generation following behind them to make headway in this thing called end-time revival. All the young people said amen. Some of these names I'm going to mention here briefly you may have heard of, you may have not heard of, but all of us have somebody that we've heard stories about that are in previous generations. And you think and you listen to the stories that you hear, and it's almost like they were living in the third heaven, the dimension that they walked in. It just it seems unattainable. Men like G.T. Haywood and uh, Frank Bartleman and C.P. Kilgore, Brother Andrew Urshan, Sister Oma Ellis, Bug and Nona Freeman, Brother G.A. Mangan, Sister Vesta Mangan, who is still alive with us today. Men and women who walked in apostolic authority, who believed that the God of all creation did live inside of them. And everywhere they went, they exercised the Holy Ghost in them. But there comes a time in every generation, doesn't matter if it was in the days of Moses transitioning to the ministry of Joshua, doesn't matter if it was Paul transitioning to Timothy or the time in which we live, but every generation has to find themselves. They have to become persuaded in who they really are in the kingdom of God. It's a very dangerous place, the transition, as we like to call it oftentimes, uh, the passing of a from one generation to the next generation. It's a very precarious season that we find ourselves in tonight. Can I tell you that there are people who were standing on their shoulders, men and women of God, who walk with him, that they're trying to give us something or reaching for something that they had. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it is attainable. It is. The book of Ezra in the Old Testament probably paints one of the clearest stories of generational transition when there are elders of old who are trying to make sure that there are young men and women who are receiving the passing of a mantle, if you will. The book of Ezra chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says now, in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah, that it might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he might that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. There was a prophecy by Jeremiah the prophet saying that the children of Israel were going to be captive in Babylon for 70 years. And at the end of the 70 years, God said, I'm going to restore them unto their home there in Jerusalem. And so God began to stir up this King Cyrus at the conclusion of 70 years. And 
God stirred him up so much that he had declared, God is calling me to build him a house in Jerusalem once again. And so Cyrus started gathering some of the remnant that were there in Babylon. You can read in Ezra chapter 2 as he sends them to Jerusalem to begin to build the house of God. And so we pick up in Ezra chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, And when the seventh month was come, the children of Israel were in the city. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. The very first step into progressing God's kingdom is we have to become one man or one people or be under the spirit of unity. Can somebody say amen? Verse 2 says, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren. The Bible says they builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. You've got to understand this. After 70 years of being in captivity, please hear me. God sent his people back, and they're there to build the temple. They're there to get their hands dirty, establishing God's kingdom once again. And they returned to a city that was in ruins. It was in shambles. It was basically a heap of boulders and rocks and whatever. But the first thing the Bible says that Joshua and Zerubbabel did is they gathered the people and they began to construct the altar of God again. And when they built the altar, the Bible says uh, they set it upon its original basis. Now, there was no foundation. There were no walls to God's temple. The only thing they had uh, was an altar. Student pastors, please hear me. I worked in that arena for, I don't know, several years or so in North Little Rock. And if I could go back to the days as a youth leader or a student pastor, the primary focus that I would have as a student leader is to make sure my young people knew how to pray. It's great having game night. It's great getting together. All that is necessary and good. But can I tell you the most imperative thing that this generation needs is to understand the significance of an altar. Anytime I get to preach to young people, I want to try to somehow convey to you there is nothing more important. Please, 12, 14, 16, 20-year-old, hear me tonight. There is nothing more important in your life uh, than walking with him. There is nothing more important in your life uh, than having an altar that you crawl upon every day. And you surrender yourself to him. Somebody shout an altar. There has to be an altar in our youth groups. There has to be an altar in our churches. And the leaders here understood. We may not have a foundation. We may not have any walls erected yet. But we better build the altar of God. Everything they did from that point forward was constructed around the altar. And the patriarchs of Israel, you can go back to the time of Abraham, to the apostles at Pentecost, to the pioneers of the 20th century. Every great man, woman, and ministry, or every great manifestation of God began with somebody constructing an altar. There is no revival. There is no supernatural. There is no harvest without first building everything you do around an altar. So they constructed their altar. You jump in to Ezra chapter 3, jump down rather to verse number 8. The Bible says now in the second year they're coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem. In the second month began Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Josedach. 
and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem. And they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood up Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. Verse 10 says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Verse 11. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But here's the thing. Many of the priests and Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off. Let me catch you up on what's going on here. They had the altar. Now they began to build the foundation. There was progress that was being made. And there was a generation among them who was not acquainted with the temple of Solomon. And so when they saw the foundation being laid and progress was being made, the Bible says they began to sing and praise God and honor him for his mercy. And they shouted for joy. Because progress was being made. But you looked over and there were some elders that were assembled among them. And the Bible says they began to weep. Because what they saw did not match up to what they experienced early on in their generation. And the Bible says that you could not discern. The noise of the shout from the noise of the weeping. That that generation and this generation, their voices were canceling each other out. And I tell you tonight that there were two different generations that were present there. With a slightly different perspective on what progress looked like. But they both had the same passion for the kingdom of God. Young people, hear me. There are going to be elders who look at some of the things that we're doing. And it doesn't quite match up to what they did in their generation. The perspective may be different, but can I tell you, I believe I'm looking at a generation who has a passion that can match equally to previous generations. You and I have to be careful that our rejoicing of the little progress that we're making doesn't cancel out the voices of all the elders that have gone on before us. So, I, God began to deal with me about what I'm talking to you about tonight. And, and some time ago when I was a student pastor... I, uh, it's been 12 years ago now, I sat down and I typed out a form and I began to give it to some elders in our church and I wanted them to answer these questions that I presented to them and I, I collected all of them and when God began to deal with me about this word tonight, I began scouring through all binders on my, my bookshelf in my office, I, I went looking at my house on the bookshelf and finally... In the bottom drawer of a filing cabinet we have in our home, I found this binder, and, and in it were some of these questionnaires. And there, there, there are two people I want to emphasize to you tonight, because outside of the men of God in my life, these two elders, if you were to look closely at me, their fingerprints are all over my life. And the first one, thank you, sir. The first one is a man named Alan Brady. The time I asked him that, Gave him this questionnaire until now, 
It's been about 10 or 12 years, so I was trying to do the math. And Brother Brady is still alive. He's up on, on up in years. But Brother Brady has been saved now for around 64 years, converted, living in the kingdom of God for 64 years. And so I asked Brother Brady, I said, Brother Brady, what's the most important part of your walk with God? Brother Brady said, staying connected to God through prayer and fasting and worship. I said, Brother Brady, what has sustained you for all of these years? He said, giving heed to the doctrine, holding fast to the profession of my faith, and adhering to the golden nuggets of truth. I said, Brother Brady, what worries you most about my generation today? He says they're not giving enough time to God in prayer and in reading of the word. They're not concerned about their eternal destination. And I said, okay, Brother Brady, but if you could be the voice to the young people I'm preaching to tonight, uh, what would be your cry in this end time hour? And he said, I wish they would fall in love with Jesus and tell him every day you need his blessings and you need uh, his love and you need his mercy. And his wife, Sister Mary Brady, is a little prophetess. If you see her in service, she'll come moving to you. She'll be shaking. And I know when she's coming, she's got a word. And she was not as vague as Brother Brady was as I began to ask her these questions. Sister Brady has been saved for 74 years. Not 74 years old. She's been converted for 74 years. I said, Sister Brady, what's the most important part of your walk with God? And she said, it's prayer. She said, talking to God and waiting on him to speak to me. Fasting, Bible study, and faithful attendance in church. Sister Brady, what has sustained you for all of these years? A continued day-by-day walk with him communing with him, being led by his spirit, seeking him through his word, by following the example of good Christians who have paved the way for us, by shunning the appearance of evil. Sister Brady, what worries you? When you look at my generation and those younger than I, what worries you about the generation today? And she said, it's their lack of commitment to God that they're not really sensing the importance of living for God wholly. With every area of their lives, she said they're not really selling out to God and not being all that they could be for him. Then I said, okay, well, if I handed you the microphone, Sister Brady, and you stood here in Lincoln, Arkansas tonight, you were able to be the voice to young people. In this end time hour, I said, what would be your cry? And she said, sell out to God. Be all that you can possibly be for him. You got to hear this. She said, young people, you have great potential for becoming a great person of God. Always stay humble, she said, and God will use you. Make yourself available to him. Go forward and slack not. Let him rule and reign in your life. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. She said, pray and worship God and win souls. Be in submission to those who watch for your soul, and he that winneth souls is wise. She said, step out of your comfort zone. God will be there for you. Step out of the boat like Peter, always keeping your eyes and your focus upon Jesus. She said, be a servant for Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. She said, hold fast, which thou hast that no man would take thy crown. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And she said something you need to get tonight, young man. She said, if you fall, get up and try again. For all of us have fallen at one time or another. She says, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. She said, for unto whom much is given of him shall much be required. And then she says something that I hope rings in all of our spirits tonight. She said, it's good to have a mentor to help you along your Christian walk with God. And then she says this, we are here for you.
Not to criticize, to cast down, but to encourage, to lift up, to pray for you and to strengthen you. Can I preach to you tonight and just tell you there may be some conflict of interest between us and previous generations, but I promise you they want to see you march on and be successful just as much as you do. So, this conflict of weeping and rejoicing, got to be very cautious and making sure that these pioneers of faith can be responsible for everything that they were, everything that some of them still are. Ezra chapter 4, verse number 1 says, And when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple, Unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you. The adversary was trying to come in and be a part of what they were doing. He says, For we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezrahadon, king of Assur, which brought us up hither. Jump down to verse 4. The Bible says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them and building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. you got to hear me now. They had an altar and they had a foundation, but when the adversary caught wind of the progress this generation was making, the Bible says they did everything they can to weaken their hands and they restricted them from working. Please hear me young people. The reality of the spirit realm is so tangible and the digger you, the deeper you dig, the more resistance you're going to feel. But please don't just have an altar and don't just have a foundation. Don't stop until the temple is erected and you continue to advance. Until you continue to advance the kingdom of God. Take note from this generation. Because of a little bit of spiritual opposition. They stood there and they discontinued the work. On the temple of God. And so. Ezra chapter 5. If you're with me say amen. Ezra 5 verse 1 says. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Now, here's what happened. Plugged right in here in Ezra chapter 5 verse 1. You've got to get this. They had stopped working on the temple of God. And the Bible says the Lord sent two men. He sent Haggai and he sent Zechariah. And so if you were to flip all the way to the books of Haggai and Zechariah and you read those chapters of those books, those prophecies, they were prophesying in the time whenever Israel wasn't working on the temple of the Lord. God sent the prophet to stir the generation to get them out of their comfort zone, to get their hands back on the kingdom of God. And so if you were to split with me to the book of Haggai chapter 1 verse 1. The amazing thing about this prophet is the book is only two chapters long. And the time period that he prophesied was only three months and 24 days. We had a clear and direct word from God. Haggai 1 verse 1 the Bible says in the second year of Darius the king the sixth month. In the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, he begins to convey to them what God's speaking. Verse 2, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people, this generation, say, the time is not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. The dangerous thing about this generation is they had an altar and they had a foundation, but the temple was just something that was among them and it wasn't their central focus. 
You can read on. I won't go into all the verses. You look at verse 4, the same chapter. He talks about how they had built these luxurious homes. They had used the wood they gathered to construct their own houses. And they neglected to build the house of God. You see, their desires became their priority. And the kingdom of God was neglected. And so God was trying to resurrect the focus of this generation. In verse 6, he says, you know, you're sowing. You're not bringing in very much. And he's basically saying there's little satisfaction in everything that you're doing doing can I preach this generation maybe just maybe the reason we're not seeing it like our Pentecostal pioneers saw it is because uh, that the temple and the work of God is not truly the central focus of all that we are attempting to do maybe the reason we sow and there is no harvest is because we're putting it to a bag that has holes in it. And all the while, God's saying, if you will just put your attention back on me and on my house, I promise you, you'll begin to sow and you'll bring in more than you can handle. And so Haggai 1 and 13 says, then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. All it took was God sending a man, and he began to prophesy about the season they were in. And the spirit of God began to move on the ministry and on the laity and all the people. And the Bible says God stirred up the spirit of those people. I know I'm preaching pretty straight tonight, but I will say to you, I have not seen a generation like your generation that is as hungry for the deep things of God as you are. I've stood in Arkansas youth camps the past couple of years and the ability of this generation to tap into the dimension of the Spirit and just kind of flow with what God is doing. It's unprecedented. And so I stand here tonight. I feel I can understand what Haggai was saying because uh, I believe the Spirit of God is stirring this generation like no previous uh, generation. There's something that's happening that only God's Spirit can generate. Please hear me tonight. What God's trying to accomplish can't come through our human ingenuity, but only by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so a stirring began to take place. For those of you who are counting, 28 minutes. So we're doing good. We come to our text that we read, Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. I'll read it to you again. The Bible says, the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you? that saw this house in her first glory. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? I believe their generation was just like our generation. Matter of fact, there were 16 years between the time of Ezra when they stopped working until Haggai came. 16 years of having idle hands and not working on the kingdom of God. But I'm sure they are just like our generation. They're constantly having to hear and rehearse the stories of the supernatural deliverance from Egypt and the pillar of fire that led them by night and the pillar of smoke by day. They were constantly having to hear the supernatural provisions that God gave them and somehow the stories seemed to be like those people were living in a different world or a different realm or when they begin to hear the stories of the Shekinah glory in Solomon's temple and the splendor they looked at themselves 
and thought there's no way that we can measure up to the generations that preceded us. What's the use of building the temple when we're trying to compare to what generations gone by have seen and what they've heard? I could tell you story after story tonight of the late C.P. Kilgore, who was the father of Reverend James Kilgore, who's now deceased, who had lost one of his children as his, as his wife rocked a baby all night long, and it finally it died the next day. They bought lumber and made a coffin for the child and buried it out in a field because they didn't have money to give the child a funeral that it deserved. But they went right down the road, some rural part of the South United States, and the next revival, they began to preach. They baptized 1,500 people in the name of Jesus Christ. And I hear those stories. For the singles, and I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to live up to the ministry of C.P. Kilgore? Hear the stories about G.A. Mangan as a woman fell dead right over here in one of their services in Alexandria, Louisiana. And he stepped down off the platform and stepped over the pews and said, You shall not die, but you shall live. Rise up in Jesus' name. And she began to breathe again in that service. I'm talking about Pentecostal pioneers, giants of faith, who I look at, I read about, and I hear about, and I think there's no way I'm ever going to match up. But here's the thing. The dimension you and I desire to see is not out of reach. But God's not going to give us what previous generations experienced with a languished effort. God's not going to give the same anointing that was on C.P. Kilgore and Sister Oma Ellis and all these great pioneers of Pentecost if I'm just giving it a half-hearted, languished effort. You want to know what the difference is? Here's the difference between those that were in Solomon's generation and the generation that Haggai was preaching to here in Haggai's 1 and 2. It's one word. Focus. I'm telling you right now, the key to walking in the dimension that those people walked in is just focused. It's not just something I do at youth service on Friday night. It's not something I just do on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, wherever you have service. But it's something that they were focused to walk in every day. They had an eternal mindset everywhere they went. And so, yes, it is attainable. I can reach out and touch it. It's, it's tangible if I'll just be focused on it. So here is the word for your generation and my generation. This, this is the scripture that God gave me two months ago or so whenever I knew that I was going to be here for sure. Haggai 2 and verse 4. And I want you to stop at 4 when I finish reading it, please, sir. This is what God sees in your generation, Brother Zach. This is what the Holy Ghost sees in your generation. I know you haven't worked as hard as you could. I know you're passionate about it, but we can always do more. And the Bible says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. Throw verse 5 up there for me, if you will. According to the word... That I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. So my spirit remaineth among you. Fear you not. You want to know what the Holy Ghost covenanted with Israel? Exodus 29 and 45. And I will dwell among the children of Israel. And will be their God. And they shall know. That I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. Here it is. 
that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord your God. Go back to Haggai 2 and 5, please. God never abandoned Israel. I don't care if they were in Babylonian uh, captivity. I don't care where they were from Moses uh, all the way to the prophet Haggai. The Bible says, I made a covenant with you and your deliverance from Egypt. And even right now, my spirit remaineth. I've never left you and I've never forsaken you. Young people, hear the words of your generation. The same Spirit of God that filled C.P. Kilgore. The Holy Ghost wants you to know that it's not some different dimension you're living in. God abides in you just like he did the late G.A. Mangan. It's the same spirit. Here's the revelation that this generation has to get. Hear me now. The Holy Ghost is not some experiential moment that you're waiting on the Spirit of God to come on you in a Friday night youth service. The Holy Ghost is the ever-abiding presence of God. It's in you. The same Spirit. It's in you. I wonder what would happen if a 16 or 17 year old man, young man, would put down the game console controller and begin to walk in the authority of the Holy Ghost, uh, receiving every. I wonder what would happen if revelation would come tonight and those of you that are walking on college campus this year understood the same spirit. That was on those Pentecostal pioneers. When you get on the bus or you walk in the halls or or wherever you are on campus, that darkness has to part because my spirit remaineth among you. I want you to listen to me for a moment. I'm about to close. Stay standing if you will. There's a young man in our academy back home. He goes to our church. 17 years of age. He's the most pure, humble young man I think I've ever been around. And last spring we had a, a uh, alumni basketball game for people who had graduated and went to our school years ago. And it was 10 o'clock at night. The people had kind of scattered. People had left. And I I drove next door to our church. And I was going to go in there and spend some time with the Lord. No cars there. So I walked in. And when I walked in, I immediately thought that somebody had left a CD player playing. And that there was somebody preaching, camp meeting or general conference, something of that nature. I mean, just the fervency, the fire, and the anointing that I heard took me a few more steps to realize that it wasn't somebody preaching on CD, but it was coming from upstairs in our youth room. And I sat down the steps that led upstairs and took me about five minutes to figure out who the young man was. And when I say he was desperately crying out to God, it was a desperate, deep groaning and cry. And I, I, I felt bad because I listened to him pray for a couple of minutes, and he was 
begging God to transform them, change me, God. Make me, I'm talking just continued. And so I left the steps and I went out to the sanctuary and began to pray. And it, it wasn't until about 45 minutes later that, that the noise began to calm and I could hear him coming down the stairs and he walked right outside. A 17-year-old young man that's desperate. Well, all of his other friends had left the alumni game doing whatever they were doing from about 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night. He was upstairs by himself crying out to God because young people hear me. If you could ever understand, if you'll move into that dimension of hunger, the same anointing these Pentecostal pioneers walk Walked in will rest upon you. Now look, I felt the Holy Ghost to do this. This is gonna be a little bit different, okay? I want to do it quickly. I want to do it quickly. If you are here, I don't care if you're 12 or 82, all right? There's an eighth grade girl in our academy. She feels called to Asia. An eighth grader, okay? So I don't care how old you are. If you feel like God has called you for a specific ministry, I don't care if you're a pastor, whatever it may be, I want you to come and press your way into the front right here on this side. On this side of the pulpit, please. Now look, just because you're not moving that way doesn't mean anything. Just hold tight. I want you to press in. I want you, everybody on this side of the pulpit. Now listen. All the rest of you, I'm asking that you please cooperate. I don't care if you're 12 or 80. And you don't know for sure. Here's the deal. If I was to be here next year and ask the same question, some of you would be over here then. But if you don't feel specifically something God's called you to, I want you to make your way. And I want you to kind of feel in. I know everybody can't get up here, but as quickly as you can, press all the way up to the altar, fill in the aisles, whatever you can do. If you're not sure about specific ministry, I want you to come over here. Listen to me. Won't you listen to me? If you notice, all through the book of Ezra, when God was dealing with Israel and with Haggai, every time he addressed them, he would always say, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. Zerubbabel represented the physical government of God's kingdom. And Joshua, the son of Josedek, represented the supernatural. He represented the ministry. And every time, hear me, every time God addressed that generation, he made sure to include the ministry and those who weren't involved in ministry. And then here's what you got to see. I read most of what Haggai prophesied. But I, I want to read to you what Zechariah began to prophesy. God began to give Zechariah visions of what he was trying to do in that generation. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. If you're in ministry, hear the word of the Lord tonight. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even... The Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? And so just like Haggai was prophesying to them, God was using Zechariah to tell the ministry, Satan has stood at your right hand and he's tried to resist you. But the Lord mm, is rebuking Satan even now. They, they, they've been they've been in judgment 
and they've been in a fiery trial, but now they are a brand that is plucked out of the fire. He didn't stop right there. Verse number six, if you will. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, So God's angel began to speak to the ministry, and he said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and you will keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts. Now here's the rhema. And I will give thee places... uh, To walk among these that stand by. You know who was standing by in the vision? The angels of the Lord. He told the ministry, if you will do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to prepare a place for you to minister among the angels that stand by in the vision. Your generation has to understand. I love my elders. I love Pentecostal pioneers. uh, But the Lord is telling the ministry, if you will step into that dimension, uh, you're going to minister in a realm of a supernatural you've never ministered in before. Okay, God, I I understand the ministry. I get it. There's a dimension. There's a dimension of supernatural ministry coming on this generation. But what about Zerubbabel, God? What about the governor of Judah? He doesn't really get involved in temple ministry. But how important is Zerubbabel to what's going on in this generation? Zechariah 4 and 4. Now all of you hear the word of the Lord tonight. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Not the ministry, but in those that are actively involved in God's work. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God's preparing a place for them to minister in the supernatural among angels. But God's got a word for your generation. You're just as much are more important to the advancement of the kingdom of God than the ministry is. He wants you to know it's not by might nor by power, but the Spirit of God that remaineth among you. He said, Zerubbabel's hands have helped lay the foundation. But I'm going to give him the headstone, which is the final stone they would place in the construction of the temple. And he said, it's not going to be the ministry. It's going to be Zerubbabel. And he's going to help finish this thing. Haggai 2, sir. Verse 6. Here's what happens. Hear me now. When the ministry... And the laity converge in focus. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, 
and the sea and the dry land. Verse 7. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 9. And the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace. Young people, hear me. If we'll get involved with the ministry and we'll do our part as the laity, when those two things converge, God said, yes, there was glory and authority with Pentecostal pioneers. But what you're going to see in your generation... What your generation is going to see... Previous generations cannot hold a candle to what God is going to do in this hour. I want to say one more thing. There's about to major impartation in this place tonight. I told my brother-in-law, Brother Greg Downs, I had dessert and coffee with the other night. We were talking about some things. And some of you may or may not know, but his wife dealt with some things a few years ago. I think three years ago now. And it was no doubt a spiritual attack on her, their family, and their church. And after all this took place, there were dreams leading up to it. And even while she was in the hospital, the adversary visited her in the hospital. And the words the adversary spoke, Sister Downs, were this. You are not a part of that Kilgore group. In essence, what the Spirit was saying to her was that there may have been a great anointing upon Pentecostal pioneers, but you'll never be a part of that Kilgore group. Can I tell you tonight... The glory of this latter house. I love them. But what God is doing in your generation is going to far exceed even what the Kilgore group saw, Sister Downs. Muranda bakete simai, shenamarubundo ranama, ruta sabayendo moko, shenamurunde, dirasa nama barundo mokai, shenaramano randa, runde shinomoke, iramanda rubundeni, mishata barabayeko. Runde Nima Rundai Ila Rabando Rono Sama Rabando Rendene Come on, lift your voice right now. Lift your voice all over this place right now.
I want you to listen to me for a second. Every young person, hear me right now. Every young person, if you're, you're praying, you're kneeling, that's fine. But I want you to listen to me. I've seen it begin to happen in the Arkansas district over the past couple of years. This past HYC was a defining moment for this district. But I want to tell you where revelation has to come for us. Please hear me. You need to get revelation of the authority that's housed inside of you. And what's inside of you needs to be released from you. Listen to me. You don't have to wait for a Sunday morning service to pray in the Holy Ghost. You're a freshman in high school, Bentonville West, wherever you go. Let the glory that's inside of you be released from you. And you walk in the halls of your school. You don't have to be loud, but pray with authority. Let the glory in you, let it come out of you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I, I know it's going to be weird. The first time I, I was in a service where the man told me to do this, I thought it was weird too, okay? But I want you to put your, your hand right here. Okay? The Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers. You understand all that. The Bible says also, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us through groanings which cannot be uttered. Pastors, if you don't agree with me right now, please tell me later. I'm fine with that. But what I want you to do is I want the, the passion that's housed inside of you for God and His glory and what He's trying to do in your generation. I want you to express that. Something like this. Oh! And let the passion inside of you come out vocally right now and when you begin to do that God's going to begin to manifest himself here come on let your voice out right now oh shanabarabatubuki yeah. Come on, revelations coming right now. Revelations coming right now. Imarabandeyaba. Yay! Come on, exercise your authority right now. You've got apostolic authority in you. Imarabai sune.